Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful morning and for this time together. I ask your blessing on this word today uh, as we open it up. And um, Lord, would you speak to us in whatever way you've already um, ordained it to be so? And uh, Lord, I thank you. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. We today are in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Now, gang, today's the day. We're going to finish it. There are three, there are two chapters, 33 and 34. We're finishing them today. Do you know how long we've been in Deuteronomy? Does anybody know? 10 months. 10 months we've been walking through the book of Deuteronomy. 10 months. I know it feels like 40 years. I know it does (laughs) for some of you. Um, But honestly, I could tell you, and, and I hope this is the same for you, is that I've learned some stuff along the way. You know, I get to stand here and, and tell you everything that I've learned, but I've learned some stuff. I've especially learned about, you know, God's long-suffering and patience and God's love and his willingness to take his people back no matter how many times they fail him. And you know what? I'm so glad for that. Because I don't know if you know this or not, not perfect. Not even close. That's the next shirt. Not even, not perfect, not even close. Uh, And so I am thankful for the fact that God welcomes me back. Each and every time I fail, if I confess and ask for forgiveness, you know what he does? Forgives each and every time. And I'm so, so blessed by that. I've been reminded of that as we've walked through Deuteronomy. I hope you have as well. Um, Another thing that kind of stuck out to me was from last week, where in in the last chapter, right near the end, verse 46 and 47, um, this is what Moses was telling them in this uh, song. Uh, He says, uh, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. It's, it's, and I wrote this on the whiteboard in my office. It's a small whiteboard to remind me of the things that God says to me during the week. And this was one of those things he said, hey, remember all of what you're learning, this, it's not a futile thing. It is not a small thing. Those words mean they're not empty words. And then the next part of that is because it is your life. I wrote that on my whiteboard because it is your life. And then I wrote, are you all in? Now this was God speaking to me, but now I'm speaking to you as well. These things that we're learning about God and his character and how he loves us. It's not a small, a futile thing. These are not empty words. This is your life. The question is, is it are you all in? So, so what does that mean? Well, being all in isn't about what you do. In fact, being all in is about what you don't do. Well, let me explain with a, an example. 
my daughter Joanna and I love to go to Bush Gardens and ride roller coasters, and they have a lot of them, and they're super fun. And uh, when we go to Bush Gardens and get on a roller coaster, um, you know, you get in and you sit down in that car, and then this big shoulder thing comes over your shoulders, and it like locks you in, and you're in. You are all in, all in. And then when that thing starts to go, click, 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 and you're going up a hill like this, and you're thinking, is this even safe? I mean, has that ever occurred to you when you're on a roller coaster and think, could I die? No, because you know why? I love roller coasters. I love the exhilaration because I trust the person that designed the track. I trust the person that designed the car that I'm sitting in, and I trust with my life the bar that comes down over my shoulders and clicks into place. I trust all of that, so much so that I'm not afraid. I'm excited, but I'm not afraid. In fact, when that thing gets to the top of the hill, and you're looking down, and there's this one roller coaster that just lets you hang there like this, I do this. I let go and I just put my hands up because I like in that moment I am going to enjoy this ride well because on the uh, first of all there's I know that I cannot steer that thing as much as I want to sometimes grab onto that bar and be like and try and pull it this way and pull it back and slow it down I don't have any control over that and so because I trust everyone who made all of that, I'm just going to put up my hands and I'm going to enjoy the ride. And in that moment, I am all in, all in. And I'm enjoying the ride. The ups, the downs, the upside downs, <laughs> the, the turns like this. Oh, man, let me tell you. So then I think of this, and I think of when, when God says, are you all in? Like, see, I could grab a hold of the steering wheel of my life and try and pull it this way and try and pull it that way, but honestly, you know what? I've given my life to Christ, and so I trust the one who created the, tra- the path. I trust the one whose car, who created the car. I trust the one with my life who put the bar over my shoulders and locked me in. I'm all in, so why wouldn't I? I just do this. Am I all in? It's no futile thing. It is my life. That's what I'm asking. That's what God is asking me. That's what I'm asking you. Are you all in? Are you ready? Now, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, the the click, 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 click. It's not fast. It's not exhilarating. It's slow. It's even mundane as you're clicking up. And some of them go really, really long up there. And so sometimes, you know, your life isn't completely exhilarating and exciting. Are you all in then? Sometimes your life goes whoosh down a great big hill and it's scary, but are you all in right there? Sometimes your life is upside down, but are you all in in that moment? It's not about what you're doing for God. It's about being completely surrendered to God in case he says, I've got something exciting for you today. Or maybe he says, you know what? Today, I want you to just be still. (laughs) All in. Completely surrendered. 
That's what he's asking. It's no futile thing. Are you completely surrendered to God? So if he's asking you to be still today, be still. But if he's asking you to, to go, then go. Be all in. Be completely surrendered. Now, I think Moses was a guy that was completely surrendered to God. Look at this now. We're in, ver- we're in chapter 33, verse 1. Now this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Do you really, do you grasp what's happening right here? He's just given them this song to memorize. By the way, you guys remember the song? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. That's not bad. We're going to do that for the next 10 months. God gave them a song to help them remember. And the song was this. When you find yourself in a place of obstacle, in a place of difficulty, in a place of captivity, and you come to realize it, the song will remind you of why you're there. It will remind you of who you can come back to, and it will remind you of why he will take you back. That was the song that he gave them. And now at the end of his life, Moses is going to bless them. The reason why this blows my mind is because why would he do this? He's just spent 40 years with these people who did a lot of complaining against Moses, who every time they turned around were like, why did you bring us out of Egypt? We were happy there. There's no food. There's no water. Blah, 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 blah. Over and over. Moses, we don't like you. Moses, we, want, we should all be leaders. Moses, we want to kill you. Somehow... Moses is able to get to a place of forgiveness and bless these people. If I were Moses, honestly, I'd be like, well, gang, God told me my time is up, told me to go up to the mountain and die. So long. (laughs) You (laughs) stiff-necked. Moses forgives and blesses. How do you do that? Do you know how he does it? Because he is all in. He is completely surrendered to God. And so he's going to bless these people. Moses gets to a place of forgiveness so that their past transgressions do not prevent him from blessing them. Jeez. You know, throughout the entire journey that we've taken through Deuteronomy, we've seen God use Moses to fulfill several roles. He's used him as a deliverer. He's used him as a provider, as a lawgiver, as a judge, as a mediator. And now he's going to use him in the role of father because he is going to bless these people in a way that only a father would do. Remember in Genesis 49, Jacob literally at the end of his days, lying on his deathbed, 
calls all of his sons in by name, and they're all representing the tribes here. But in, in Genesis 49, they were the actual sons, and he gives them, well, it's called a blessing, but it wasn't so much a blessing for some of them. Some of them it was a curse. Some of them was prophecy. Um, even this, there's a lot of prophecy. But it was a father's right to give a blessing to his children. And God uses him in the role of father now after him being deliverer, provider, lawgiver, mediator, judge, now father. <clears throat> and Moses in this role now of father has come to a place of forgiveness even after all that they have put him through. And again, all of these roles that God has f used to f Moses to fulfill are all also representations of God himself to his people. God is the deliverer. God is the provider. God is the lawgiver. God is the judge. God is the father, the one who blesses, the one who forgives, even though they and we have transgressed over and over and over again. Some of you on your way here this morning, you're all looking at me like, <laughs> <clears throat> but here's the thing. Moses was able to get to a place where he was able to forgive so that he could bless, which means that he was able to move past any hurt that was done. Um, there's there's uh, this concept of forgiveness. This is hard, really. Um, there are some of you here I know who have trouble with this concept of forgiveness. You have trouble understanding that although you have transgressed against God, although you have sinned and, and also confessed and know that the word says that he's forgiven you, you still struggle with feeling condemned, feeling like, how could God forgive me all these times? I keep doing the same thing. I did it yesterday, I did it the day before, I did it the day before, I'll probably do it tomorrow. Can God continue to forgive me over and over again? And you know what the devil says? No, you wretch. Look what you did. How could God forgive you this many times? The same sin against God over and over and over again. And I say, get out from the weight of that condemnation and accept the forgiveness that God offers you. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. When you come to God and say, Lord, I've transgressed again. I can't believe I've done this again. Will you please forgive me? You know what God says? Yes, I forgive you. In fact, you know what else he says? And now I'm going to take that sin that you confess and that forgiven sin, and I'm going to throw it into the sea. Get rid of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate it from you as far as the east is from the west. Whichever. I don't know. As far as the east is from the west. Do you know why God uses east and west instead of north and south? It's really clever. God is really clever. You can never stop going east. If you, if you got in your car or an airplane or some other magic carpet, and, and followed your compass east, you could go east forever. If you were going around the globe, you can always go east. It never stops being east. If you turn around and go west, it will always go west. You'll never stop going west. If, you, if he used north or south, when you start headed north, eventually 
you're going south. Their compass changes. So eventually your north becomes south. They meet. East never meets west. You can always go east. They'll never touch. Isn't that cool? Does God know his own creation? He's like, I can't use north from south. Because then they'll meet. I have to use east from west. I'm going to separate it from east from west, meaning they'll never meet. Get out from underneath the condemnation that you're putting on yourself because you feel like, how could God keep forgiving me? If you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Stop condemning yourself because you think, oh, I sinned again. God can't possibly forgive me again. It says that not only does he separate it east and west to throw it into the sea and all these great metaphors, he also says, I remember it no more. I remember it no more. It's, he's not saying I've forgotten. He says, I choose not to remember your sin once you've confessed it. God's saying, I'm not holding it against you. Why are you holding it against you? Get out from underneath the weight of sin that you've been forgiven. Now, if you're feeling really condemned about sin, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's because you haven't confessed it to him. And he's convicting you, but he's not condemning you. If you confess it, he forgives you. Get out from underneath the self-condemnation of sin, even if it's the same sin that you're facing on a regular basis. Now, the other side of that coin is the idea that maybe you need to forgive someone else. A lot of us struggle also with the idea of like, well, but you don't know what they did. I know I don't know what they did. No, I don't. No, if, but you could tell me later. No, no. Don't tell me. You don't have to tell me. But God already knows. But God is saying, look, I've forgiven you. You forgive them. You forgive them. Don't struggle with or don't be underneath the, the, the weight of having sin. Um, unforgiveness in your heart. And here's the thing. God said, like, when you confess your sin and I forgive you, I choose not to remember it anymore. You need to do the same. Well, I'm not God. I've heard this. Well, you know, you don't know what she did. I, I've forgiven her, but... You, if you say to me, well, I've forgiven her, but... You haven't. <laughs> you haven't forgiven them. You're holding on. Do you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 13? It's the love chapter, right? In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, part of it is that love is patient, love is kind, you know, all those things. You know what love is? Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. That means that if someone comes to you and says, I'm really sorry, would you please forgive me? You say, yes, throw it in the sea. Throw it in the sea because you know what happens is we're like, I forgive you this time, but I'm not going to forget it. Putting it right back here. I'm going to think about it often. It's going to eat me up inside until I'm a bitter, horrible tied up person, but you seem to be completely fine. I think that's the thing that drives people crazy because some people have embraced forgiveness, right? And they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And we're like, all right. And they're like, woohoo. And you're like, wait a minute. No, be more sorry. (laughs) That's probably why we have trouble with the forgiveness of God, isn't it? Because that's what we would do. And we can't imagine that God would let us off the hook if we, forget, if we confess. We think that God is like, all right, but I'm watching you extra close. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is verse one so far. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so Moses, he's all in. He's surrendered to God so completely that even though these people have even tried, basically threatened to kill him and take over, he's gotten to the place where he goes, I could forgive you and I could forgive you to the point is I'm going to bless you and I'm going to prophesy over you um, as we go forward. And so look what he says. Verse 2, and he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir, and he shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with 10,000s of angels from his right hand, came a fiery law for them. So he reminds them that when they first came in and God came to uh, the, uh, Mount Sinai with fire and clouds and thunder, and it says, and trumpet sounds, and he delivered to them verbally the law. Remember this? We, if you were here, we, we went over this. Literally, he spoke to them all of the law and they were very afraid and they said to Moses, please don't let God speak to us anymore. We're going to have a heart attack. And, and so what this is indicating right here is that along with the fire and the smoke and the thunder and the trumpets were 10,000s of angels also present the moment that God was giving them. In fact, um, in Galatians and in Acts and in Hebrews, it indicates that the word actually was delivered by the angels. And so this, what this is doing is adding some drama to and fleshing out the picture of what happened when he came down on my, Mount Sinai with the law. It was like, like thunder and, and fire and, and lightning and trumpets and angels surrounding the mountain and maybe flying all around the place. And it's no wonder that they thought they were going to have a heart attack when they were receiving the law. It, I wonder, because there are several places in the Bible, specifically Matthew, 1 Thessalonians, and Revelation that talk about God's return being announced by the sound of trumpets. And, and you know... I don't think that means like, you know, there's a brass section like, doo, 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 doo. you know, I think, you know, it's their best way of trying to explain the sound that accompanies this. And maybe that sound of trumpets is angel sounds, the voices of angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And it's so loud because, I mean, what does 10,000s of thousands of angels sound like? I mean, maybe the, their best attempt of explaining it is, sounds like trumpets. And they were talking not about brass instruments, you know, they're talking about ram's horns, which just a single, you know, maybe 10,000s of those are, I don't know. Anyway, think about it. Get back to me later. <laughs> yes, it says in verse three, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob, and he is king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered all the tribes of Israel together. Now, I'm not going to spend a, an enormous amount of time going through line by line the comparison between what Jacob blessed and what they blessed, although it is a very interesting study and maybe worth spending some time going back between Genesis 49 and what Jacob blessed these, these sons of his and what then Moses is going to say about the tribes. I'm going to hit a couple of interesting points as we go through, but maybe at, a, at another time you can, if you're looking for a study to do on your own, just get a good commentary and read through what they're saying about the ones that I read are kind of all over the place. And so I'm not sure there's any one real commentary, but there's some really interesting things. So let's go through. He says in verse six, let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. Okay. So Reuben was the first son is now, now 
rather than like Jacob was referring to the sons uh, in, ver- in chapter 49, Moses is referring to the tribes named after these sons. And so Reuben, remember Reuben was one of the tribes that said, we're going to stay here on this side of the Jordan River. We're not going to go in. Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh, those were the three tribes that decided to stay. They weren't going to go in to the promised land. And so Moses here says, let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. The idea is, um, like Reuben, because they're staying on the other side of the Jordan River, would be kind of one of those territories that would be hit first if there was an attacking army or a foreign army coming in. Um, And so he's kind of just praying for their safety as we all go in and these tribes are left behind. Lord, let them live, not die, and not let them be few. And verse 7 says, and then he said of Judah. Now, before we go on to Judah, you should notice there's something missing. There's someone missing there, isn't there? You know who would be next after Reuben? Simeon. Okay, Simeon is the next brother, right? And Simeon isn't actually mentioned in Moses' blessing here. Now, remember, Moses is talking to tribes, not a son. Um, So if you were to go back into Genesis 49 and see Jacob's blessing or Jacob's, you know, (laughs) speech to his sons, he refers to Simeon and Levi as like violent guys. Remember, Simeon and Levi were the two brothers that, whose, whose sister was raped and, and Shechem, and they went in and they tricked all the guys of Shechem to get circumcised, and when they were sick, they went in and killed them all. And he says, like, he says you're not going to actually receive land. You're going to be dispersed among the people. And so what we see is Simeon, especially the tribe of Simeon, is dispersed among the other tribes. He's, he's kind of in the tribe of, of Reuben and Judah, Okay, that's, that's where they are. And Levi, he actually is spoken of before, but Levi becomes the, the priestly tribe who doesn't have any inheritance of their own, but are spread out between all the tribes, serving as the priests in the tribes in all of the land together. So no Simeon in this one at all. Now he says in verse 7 of Judah, Hear the Lord, uh, hear Lord the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him. And may you help him against his enemies. So Judah was one of those tribes that when they go into the promised land, whenever there's a battle, the tribe of Judah, they went in first. They were the first ones into battle, which is really interesting to me because if I start to look a little bit deeper, maybe a little more spiritually into that, we know that Jesus himself was of the tribe of Judah. In fact, what is he called? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And what does the word say that Jesus goes before us? It's like you've heard me give this message already, Andrew, because I'm watching you say all these things before I even say them. (laughs) If I forget, I'm going to look at Andrea and she's just going to remind me of what I'm saying. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and it says that he goes before us to fight our battles. And so I see, wow, this is very prophetic. Not just of the tribe who would go into battle before, but of Jesus who is the lion of the tribe of Judah who goes before us fighting our battles. Again, Moses is very prophetic in these blessings and I'm not sure if he knows it or not, um, but we get to look into this and see. And it says... Um, and of Levi, he said, let your Thuman and your Urim be with your holy ones whom you tested at Massa and whom you contended with at the waters of Meribah. Now, remember, 
Um, when we were going through, oh gosh, Genesis, I think it was when we were going through Genesis and we were talking about the priestly garments. Andre, was that Genesis? Okay. All right. Um, and we were, they were telling us all the details of all the priestly garments, right, and that the tribe of Levi would wear. And one of the things that they wore was this breastplate that had all these jewels in it. And within the breastplate were these, I'm going to say, two stones, the Urim and the, Th- the, the Thummim and the Urim, right? And, and, and we don't know exactly. Amazingly, we still don't know exactly how that all worked. Maybe it was one black one and one white one, or maybe they were two stones, one black on one side and white on the other. And, and they would, what they would do is they would ask a yes or no question of God. They would kind of toss out these stones. And if it were two black, it was positive. If it was two white, it was negative. And if it was a black one and a white one, it was, we can't answer this right now. Come back later. That sounds, I, some of you are laughing because it sounds like Magic 8-Ball, doesn't it? He's just like, Lord, should we go into battle? Uh, you know, decision unknown, come back later. Like, okay, but, but essentially, that was the, the method that God had given them to discern his will and his wisdom. And look at what he's saying right here is, Lord, let your, let your wisdom or let them always be able to discern your wisdom in the path that they are about to take. That, you know what? I want that. I want that too. Lord, That's a prayer for me too. I hope that's a prayer for you as well. Lord, let your wisdom always dwell in me so that I can discern your path for me. Which way I should, should I go left? Should I go right? Should I stay? Should I wait? Lord, let your, let the discernment of your wisdom always be upon me as well. And then he says, who says of his father and his mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word. They were very dedicated. The Levite tribe was very dedicated to the service of the Lord, to the service of the temple, and to the service of the people. They were about what it was that they were called to do. When I read that, I am reminded of Jesus' words in Luke, where he says, "Um, if anyone comes after me, they must hate their mother or their father, their brother or their sister, yet their very life. And you understand, and I'm sure many of you, uh, you know, understand what Jesus is saying. He isn't saying to be a Christian, you have to hate your parents or you have to hate your family. But what he's saying is you have to put me before them, me before them. That's a message that we see. Like what did God say was the definition of idolatry? Anything taking the place in your heart before me in place of me. Right? And so he's saying the same thing to them here. He's saying, this is what they did. They were about it. He's saying, if you want to be a follower of me, you need to put me in front of anyone else in your life, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, even your own life. You need to be completely surrendered. You need to be all in. This is my symbol for all in for the rest of the morning. All in. And it says, and they shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. And they shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and those who hate him, that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all day long. And he shall dwell between his shoulders, shoulders, 
I find it very interesting that Jerusalem, the holy city, is actually in a Benjamite territory. So when he says that the the Lord shall dwell in in safety by him, it reminds me that God said, within this region that I'm giving to Benjamin, the one that um, that I do care about, is my holy city, Jerusalem. And of Joseph, he said... Blessed of the Lord is the land, is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun and with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let this blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of his head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull and his horn like the horns of a wild ox. You know what? It just occurs to me. There's two, there's two things in this as I read this. Uh, the word precious. Um, he uses it over and over again. Moses uses the word precious and... and um, you know, the Lord of the Rings has kind of ruined the word precious for me. He's like, precious. But it is a, a very special word that God uses very specifically in the life of Joseph. You know, if you know the story of Joseph, you know, he wasn't the oldest brother. He wasn't the youngest brother either. He's kind of in that middle. He's like a, a middle child. He was on the, on the younger end, but still a, a middle child. And... Uh, and when it talks about them, like his glory is like a firstborn bull, you know that he wasn't firstborn in his family and his brothers, you know, sold him into slavery. He ended up in, in prison and then in, in Egypt where he was basically lifted up to a place or a position of what you might say was a firstborn. Now, he wasn't Pharaoh, but he was second to Pharaoh only in Egypt. And so he, the Lord looks at him and says, precious is the produce of the month. Precious are uh, the things of the everlasting hills. Precious things of the earth. We're, I'm, let's start using the word precious more and more. How about? So later on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. You're going to be like, that's so precious. <laughs> and of Zebulon, he said, rejoice, Zebulon, in your going out, and Issachar, in your tents. And they shall call the peoples to the mountains. And there they shall offer sacrifice, sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of the treasure hidden in the sand. So this particular verse, um, some people got a hold of this at some point along the line, and they said, clearly God is saying that there's oil underneath the sand in the land of Zebulon and Issachar. So let's go and drill for oil there. And so they have. And um, guess how much oil they have found? Zero oil. Zero oil in that land. But for some reason, they took this and they read it and they said, there's oil because that's what this is saying. There's treasure hidden in the sand. Now, um, I don't know exactly what God is talking about or what Moses is talking about there. Maybe what he's talking about is a land that's going to be fruitful, that's going to be turned to desert, will be returned to a fruitful land, which we know happened if you know the history of Israel. And of Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. 
He dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. Again, I'm sure there's like just a myriad of wonderful symbolic things in there that you will find for yourself when you study that. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. Pretty short blessing for Dan there. Poor Dan. He's a lion's pup. Uh, It says that he was in this land here. And at some point, what we know of Dan's history is that he's here in this southern land. And at some point, for some reason, he moves the whole tribe up to a northern part of the land. And so that's very prophetic. He leaps from one place to the next. Of Naphtali... Satisfied with favor, a full and full of the blessing of the Lord, possesses the west and, and the south. Now this one I like. Satisfied, full of blessing. When I, maybe it's just me, and maybe it's because it's getting near lunchtime. When I, I can't help to think about when I read this, the idea of being satisfied and full. Like you know, when you go out for a nice meal. And you just, it's just like, you know, it's like a 70-ounce steak. (laughs) That's before cooking. And it's like, you know, vegetables and potatoes and all this good stuff. And you're just like, oh, man, and you are, and it's so good. And you're thinking, I should stop eating this, but I just can't. I can't. It's so yummy and, and, and cooked just right. Man, you guys good? We're done? (laughs) And you're just so satisfied and you're full and you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm so full. And then they bring out the dessert tray and you're just like, oh, it looks so good. I'm full. I'm full. I'm satisfied. That's the feeling I get when I read this. Oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. Now, this is what I know, okay? That the land, the land that Naphtali was given was the land right around the Sea of Galilee. And right around that area, the Sea of Galilee, was where, what, Andrea? No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Is where Jesus did most of his teaching and most of his work right around that region of the Sea of Galilee. And so that region was full of the blessing of the Lord. Isn't that amazing that Moses really was prophesying? But it is that idea is like, like I want to be filled up and satisfied with the blessing of the Lord, not with a 70-ounce steak, because you know what happens like later on, you're just like, oh, I ate too much. Oh, I'm so sick. But you're never going to feel sickly full from being full of the blessing of the Lord, of the presence of the Lord, of the teaching of the Lord. I want that too. So I'm just picking out the couple that I want as I go through this blessing. And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Again, this is another one of those verses where they read and they were like, okay, we didn't find any oil in the sand, but clearly we're in the wrong spot. We need to go down to the land of Asher because there it talks about that he's dipping his foot in oil. So there must be so much oil that as they're walking along, they're just walking through it, which is so stupid, by the way. And I'm not making this up. This is for real. People have said this. But this isn't talking about petroleum. 
This is obviously talking about olive oil. We talked about the olive groves that were present even last week and the idea that God was saying, I'm blessing you with honey from the rock and, and oil from the stones and this idea that this abundant blessing that God had poured out for them and he's blessing Asher, which means happy. His name means happy. You know, happy and most blessed are, is him of the sons. It says, your, sh- your sandals shall be iron and bronze. Uh, now, that's a good thing. Uh, does it sound like a good thing? I'm sure some of you ladies know what it means to wear shoes that feel like iron and bronze. <laughs> but this is a good thing. It means sturdy, steadfast, planted. As your, day, as your days, so shall your strength be. And 26, it says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. There is no one like God, first of all. There is no one like God is a statement that Moses is saying to them. There is no one like God. It's such an important statement because we know that one of the biggest challenges that they have had and will continue to have is replacing God with other smaller gods. And so again, he reminds them, there is no one like God. God or the God of Jeshurun. And I like this part too, because last week we said Jeshurun was a kind of a sarcastic nickname, meaning the upright one who had gotten everything he needed and didn't need anything more. So we thought and became fat and lazy and obese, it says. But here Moses is using it in the blessing to say, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun, no one like. And what he does is he redeems the name Jeshurun, so that it is no longer a sarcastic name, but something to be looked at as saying, God is connected to, God redeems something that was once not a great thing. It now has become part of the blessing included with the God. And that is so consistent with the message of the Bible of taking something that is worthless and not great and God redeeming it. Because guess what? That's you. That's me. Something that was not worthy of God that he took and redeemed. But he did not here redeem it because of the redeeming qualities, because of the things that they had done to all of a sudden be redeemable. He did it because he loves them and he's God. And that also is true for you and for me. There's nothing good that God would say, hey, that guy's awesome. I want him on my team. No, he says, I'm going to redeem you because I'm God, because I love you and I will redeem you. Not because you're redeemable or not because you uh, are so amazing that I just can't go on without you, but because I love you. He goes on and he says, who, who rides the heavens to help you? And in his excellency on the cloud, and in his excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Man, I love the image of everlasting arms. You know what everlasting means, right? Like, it doesn't end. Everlasting goes on forever. So think about the everlasting gods. But maybe you're thinking about the everlasting God, arms of God like this, stretched out as far as it could be this way and this way. But see, I see the everlasting God, the arms of God like this, like a circle, a circle that never ends. God's arms wrapped around me in everlasting arms. You see, the thing is like some of you are still here. Jesus did this so that he could do this. 
But you got to get beyond this. You got to say, yep, he went to the cross for me. He went to the cross and he died for my sins. And now I'm forgiven. And now I'm here. Get out from the condemnation of feeling guilty because Jesus went to the cross for your sins and accept that forgiveness and accept him as your savior and be embraced in the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ and be held, right? If, if you're feeling guilty, come into the gratitude of the everlasting embrace of God, Amen. It says that he will, tr- look, at the, look at the promise. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and he will dis- say destroy. And then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone and the land of grain and new wine, his heaven shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. What a blessing that Moses pours on them at the end of his life, able to get to a place of forgiveness so that he can bless them. He is not hindered by their stubbornness, their transgression, but he's forgiving them. Now it says, then Moses, now, the, now this, we got scared the time, all right. Then, <laughs> then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the south and the plain of the Valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees as far as Zor. So he takes Moses up to the top of this mountain and he says, look, Moses, look, look at all this land. But I find it very interesting that rather than to say, look from that river to that river and this sea to that mountain, he uses some geographical landscapes. But what he does is he defines the land by the people or the tribe that he has already given it to, even though they haven't gone in yet. And I just love the idea that, that it's more about the people that God is calling into the land than it is about the landmarks or the rivers that he could define the land by. He has done that. We've seen it in Exodus um, and Genesis where he talks about the land in terms of this river and that sea and this mountain. But here he's talking about the promise and the promised land and the people. He defines it by the people that he's giving it to. And that really helps me to understand the, the idea that God is about people, right? God is about the people that he's created and giving his creation to rather than the mountains and the streams and the rivers. Also, by the way, they haven't gone in there yet. They, they, this is just a promise, but God already sees it. That's Naphtali's place, and over there is where Manasseh's going to be, and over there is, you know, Dan. Um, they won't be there for long because they're going to head north to Bash, and we already read that. But anyway, that's what he's showing them. <clears throat> And then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give you, give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. <laughs> boy, oh boy, God's really driving that point home with Moses. Like, Moses, you're not going in. Now we know, you know, the, the thing is like, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses actually goes, uh, it's, it's indicated that Moses goes to God and says, can I please go in 
to the promised land. I know, I know I transgressed and I know um, I'm in trouble. Um, they made me do it, but I'm in trouble. He says that he was like, God's mad at me because of you is what he says to the people. He says, God, can I please go in? And God says, Moses, enough. I'm not going to talk to you about this again. You're not going in with the people. You will not lead the people in. And so Moses says, God, can I please go in? And God says, no. And it occurred to me as I was reading this and I was thinking about what we talked about last week is that God said no to Moses leading the people in. But he said yes to Moses going in ultimately because we see him in the Mount of Transfiguration. And it occurred to me that sometimes God says no now so that he could say yes later in a way that is even bigger and will blow your mind so that you couldn't even. In fact, the Lord says that uh, I could show you things now that you wouldn't even understand if I told it to you now. And so sometimes God says no to what you're asking him now because he's going to say yes in a way that's even bigger and, and better than you can even imagine. I mean, imagine if he was to say to Moses, and this would really help out the explanation, if he said, Moses, no, not now, because in several hundred years from now, you are actually going to go into the promised land, but you're not going to you know, be wearing old clothes and old sandals. You're not going to be all sweaty from walking up this mountain or walking in. You're not going to have to worry about these complaining stiff-necked people. You're actually going to go in in a glorified form with your friend Elijah and Jesus in glowing light from heaven on the top of the mountain. And isn't that better? <laughs> and then Moses would be like, yeah, good. I'm good. I'm good. Let's, we'll do it that way then. <laughs> but imagine if you pray to God and God, you get a, a no answer from God. But he was like, not this way. But if you wait a little bit longer, this is what I'm going to do. And it's not only going to be a yes, it's going to be like a Yes! exceedingly abundantly greater than anything that you can imagine. And what would your response be? Yeah, yeah yes, let's do that. God, let's do that. Let's do it that way. My bad. <laughs> Thought I knew what I was talking about. So here's the thing. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. You know, we pray for healing. Lord, I want to be healed. 100% I want to be healed. And God says, you know what? I'm going to heal you on this side of heaven over here. You know, maybe he'll heal us here. Maybe he'll heal you here. But maybe he'll heal you on that side of heaven. And you'll be like, I'm good. I'm good. It said, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses, the servant of the Lord. I, you know, I, that's what I want people to say. When I die, when I finish my my course here on this earth, I would like people to say, Aaron, the servant of the Lord. How do I get that? Frank, how do I get that? Andrea? <laughs> Here's the answer. Yeah. Here's the answer. Moses was called the servant of the Lord because he was all in, completely surrendered. How do I get to be referred to as Aaron, the servant of the Lord at the end of my life? To live my life all in, completely surrendered. It's not because they're going to look at my life and say, man, that guy worked really hard, or he was at the church all the time, or he strives, strives, strives. Look at all the programs he created, or look at all the people he preached to, or look at all the this or that, any of that. It will be because I was surrendered all in. That's not just me. That's any of y'all. How about we all? Let's all do that. 
So that when we come to the end of our life, they'll say, there goes so-and-so, the servant of the Lord, you know, in a box. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> we'll be there. So we'll walk up to God and he'll be like, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the Lord. <laughs> I'm going in there. <laughs> I can't wait for that day. In verse 6, we're almost done, gang. It says, and he, God, buried him in a valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. I mean, I, maybe I'm silly. I, I just picture, you know, Moses being like, falling over. And then God just like, you know, like digging a hole and putting him in and covering it up, patting it, putting some shrubs and rocks there. So no one could tell that there was a body there. So that because it says that he didn't allow anyone to know. God did not allow the people to bury Moses, nor did he allow them to know where Moses was buried. Like, why wouldn't God allow that? I could tell you why. Because God knows that eventually they would have built some kind of a shrine over top of that thing. And then after that, they would have bowed down and worshiped at that shrine because that is what they did. And God was like, I'm not giving you any excuse to worship Moses. He was my servant. He was my tool. You don't worship that. You worship me. It says that Moses was 120 years old when he died. And his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Diminished. It wasn't that he was worn out. It was God was like, you're done now. You're done. You've done what I've asked you to do. You're done. 120 years old, and he was still in really good shape. It was like the Moses diet. Whatever that, but we're going to go to the, the self-help book section and look up the Moses diet. And it will be... It's bread and water, basically is what it is. Bread and water. But the bread, it was manna. You know what they did with that? They like mashed it up and they made a paste and they deep fried it in oil is what the word says. It was like donuts. Literally, it was like water and donuts is what they were. 120. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all the great terror which, which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Done. Done. What an amazing journey through the book of Deuteronomy. Amen? Amen. Gang, as we... Uh, finish up here if uh, the, the thing that I, I really feel like God wants us to take away has just been wrapped up right in, in this last two chapters and it's this all in who's all in with who wants to be all in with me let's go I, you know what I want to tell you this we're gonna we're gonna sing one last song and you know Dan and I we don't talk about songs they the worship team picks and 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 then we sing them I noticed at the 9 o'clock that the, the words to this last song just...
pay special close attention to the words of this last song that we're going to sing in connection to being all in, being completely surrendered. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this journey through the book of Deuteronomy. What a blessing it has been. Uh, Lord, I pray that through this time that we have come to know you on a a level that was different than before we started. Lord, that we have begun to see that you are amazing. Lord, that you are compassionate and kind and long-suffering and loving and faithful. And all of your ways are just and righteous. Lord, I, I pray that we would embrace that. Lord, I pray that we would embrace forgiveness as it is explained to us in your word, Lord. That we would not live in the condemnation of our sin if we've confessed it, it's forgiven. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that as we go out of this place today that we would contemplate what it means in our own individual lives to be surrendered, to be all in. Lord, that we might be Um, used however you would use us. Uh, We would rest when you say to rest and we would go when you say to go. Speak when you say to speak and be quiet when it is time to be quiet, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.